Hello and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking with Dr. Holly McCart of WK Piermont OBGYN Specialist. We're talking about routine well woman OBGYN visits and all the care that goes with that. So a reminder for you, please make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned down low so we can hear your questions and you can hear the answers. The number to call is 318-219-4569. You'll see it at the bottom of your screen periodically throughout the show and you can call and talk directly to the doctor. Thank you again for being here. Thanks for having me. Oh, sure. This is a great topic, and it's so interesting to really talk about something that we hear a lot, annual visits, go once a year. As women, we're just told that, and we just go. Um, but let's talk about really what happens, and really, is it once a year? We kind of touched on that in the tease earlier. Yes, yeah. It typically is just once a year, as long as you're not having any problems. That changes a little bit depending on your age, but just baseline, everybody should go meet with their OBGYN at least once a year to touch base, make sure everything's going okay, and if there's any problems that need to be addressed we can kind of get that started at those at those appointments okay and if there's sometimes there might be certain conditions or hereditary things where you go someone may go every six months instead sure. of a year or two yeah. so it just depends on the patient sure yeah absolutely always tailoring the care to patients but the guidelines kind of give us a baseline of where to start and then depending on you and and your history or other things going on you may go a little bit um, more often yeah, which is always good. Just sure. go and get checked and yeah. ask all those questions yeah. and, and put you at your mind at ease. I think that's really what these visits are about, mm -hmm. too. They just let you know everything's on track. Yep. You know, everything's good. Yeah. Good to go. Mm -hmm. See you next time. Yep. So it's great. Yeah, and go down the list and check everything off. Yeah, which is a good point because we're talking yeah. about routine. Right. There, so there is a base routine things that are get yeah. checked. Do you want to run through those? As sure, sure. So just it's always a good time to be able to um, do an extensive review of just your history. If anything's changed in the last year since we saw you, maybe a new medication or a new diagnosis. Um, that's always a time we take time to really look through all of that. And then also make sure that we're up to date on things like vaccinations, um, which at different times in life those come up, or maybe a booster. Um, looking to make sure that we're up to date on all routine screenings, because um, those come up time to time. And if a patient maybe has had a lot of medical issues for a little while, sometimes those get put on the back burner. Right. And so we make sure we get caught up on that. Um, or if we come to a new stage of life and now it's time to do this screening. So we talk about that a lot and then just a good physical exam as well. And it's also good to talk about just changes in your life in general, right? Sure. You might want to tell you that I got married yeah, or um, I adopted a child yeah. or I got divorced or yeah. something like that. Just any life change because sure. it all plays together, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So it's always good to just kind of keep updated on all of those things. And then as new things in life come, maybe there's new problems um, that we need to address or new things we need to discuss. And so new stages of life kind of bring a lot of things with it. And so your OBGYN is someone who follows um, a woman through multiple stages of life. That's why I love the, the practice itself because you really get to follow somebody for a while. So yeah, it's good. I can tell that yeah. you really love that yeah. part. And so what age should a woman start going and getting checked? So it just kind of depends as far as routine um, exams, as far as breast and pelvic exams. Most people, we need to start at least by age 21 because that's when you start doing routine um, pap smears to screen for cervical cancer. So that's at least is a good time to at minimum start then. Some women start coming to an OBGYN a little bit earlier routinely, especially if they have issues maybe with their menstrual cycle. And so um, there are certainly reasons to come before the age of 21 and that's totally fine. Um, but just in general, if you're not having any issues, 
21 is a good age to start. And that's a good point too. So it's really good to keep in mind if you haven't started going to a doctor yet, don't wait until there's, I mean, you can go oh, with something wrong. Sure, absolutely. But really to go get set up. Find yeah. a, a, the doctor that, cause, you know, that you really feel comfortable mm -hmm. with. Get that baseline yeah. going when you're good and healthy and you feel good. Sure. That way when things come up, it's easier to spot them that are tailored specifically to you. Absolutely, because then your doctor knows you, knows what is normal for you. And then so if things start coming up that aren't normal, you've already got that relationship established you're comfortable with them um, and again they know you and um, so doctors are always happy to see you if you have a problem but as you're alluding to kind of having an established relationship there are advantages to that um, so yeah good. I agree I think it's it's really important because sometimes we feel like if we do see a new doctor we need to tell them the whole history sure. and when you move to a new place uh, no matter what age mm -hmm. is it good time to find a doctor go ahead and get that wellness check so you get yep. Okay, I think mm -hmm. we have a caller for you. Oh, okay. So, uh, B, what is your question? Yes, ma'am. I had a hysterectomy in 1991. And uh, one time I had went in for uh, my um smear, and the nurse told me that my bladder uh, has dropped. Um, and uh, so now I'm 80 years old, and this is seem like everything has dropped to the bottom <laughs> and when I get ready to make water I have to go on you know in the hurry so I'm wondering do I need a bladder lift that's a great question that is a common problem that many women um, experience at certain points in life um, it the answer is it really depends on you and how much it's bothering you um, and so certainly going to have an exam with your OBGYN um, and just have a conversation about the symptoms you're having. Um, and then they can talk with you about options as far as do we want to treat this? Is it something that's bothersome, but you're okay with it and you just wanted to make sure everything is okay? Um, that's fine. Or they can talk to you about options as far as, okay, this is a problem and here are the ways that we can treat it to try to make it better. Okay. Does that so do I still do I still need to take hormones? That would also be a good question to talk about with your doctor who prescribes them to you. Um, if it's something that you would like to try to start to come off of, some patients really try, like to try to limit the amount of medications that they're on, that would be a great conversation to have with your doctor who's prescribing it. Um, because there are some times where we can start to transition off of hormone replacement therapy. Um, so y'all can have a good conversation of the pros and cons of that. Um, but there are several women who at some point start to transition off of their hormone replacement. I see. Okay. So if you, I need a bladder lift, does that uh, make you um, need to go to the bathroom right away? Uh, uh, is, is that something to do with that? It, it, it could help with that. It could. It potentially can. Okay. Is that a major surgery, having a bladder lift? It, yes, ma'am. It, it would be a surgery that would be performed in the operating room, and your doctor who's performing it could kind of talk to you about the um, details of the surgery and expected um, recovery times and all of that. And it all just depends on how extensive it, it would the repair would need to be. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for calling, B. We wish you well. 
And tell us again, too, um, what is all, so we talked about the routine visits that go in there, and we talked about, we were just about talking about it, so when moves to a new place, it's mm -hmm. good to find a doctor that yes. you feel comfortable with, yeah. and you do want to get that baseline again. Is it enough to just forward all your records, or is it a good idea to just go and start again and see someone when you're healthy um, in a new place? It, yeah, so um, establishing with a physician that can... Um, talk with you about where where you've been and and any things in your past and then also forwarding your records is always very helpful um, because we're always going to want to know what was the result of this last pap smear or what was the result of your last mammogram because that helps us guide on when do we need to do it again um, if it was abnormal um, so always forwarding your records to your new physician is great okay good advice and we have miss J on the line hello thanks for calling what's your question uh, yes, ma'am. I'm 62, and I had a complete hysterectomy at 25. Um, over the years, I've been told, no, you don't need a pap smear, or, oh, yes, you still need one. Uh, this has been in the last few years I've been told that. And I was just uh, wondering, do I need one? I had a complete Yes, ma'am. That's a great question. That's something that I get asked often. Um, and so the shortest answer is it, it depends. Um, if you have had a hysterectomy and um, your cervix has been removed, which is very routine part of hysterectomy that the cervix is also removed at the time of surgery, um, current guidelines say um, that if you had no history of abnormal pap smears before your hysterectomy um, and you do not have any other certain medical problems, which are rare, um, that you actually don't have to continue to get routine pap smears unless you're having a problem. Um, and so it would depend a little bit on your history, um, but just for the baseline healthy population that have had a hysterectomy, you actually can consider discontinuing routine pap smears. Again, that excludes if you're having problems. Um, now, a pap smear is different from a pelvic exam you may still require a pelvic exam um, depending again with your physician on um, how often that y'all should do those but the actual swab that um, screens for things like cervical cancer you don't have a cervix anymore and so depending on your history you may not need that actual swab performed routinely um, but those guidelines have changed within the last several years. And so in the past, um, that may not have been the recommendation, but in the last several years, updated guidelines have, have said that. Okay, I was just wondering, uh, why do I need a pastor? I have nothing, I have no problem. <laughs> yes, ma'am, yeah, and, I understand. Um, I've got some arguments with me. Uh, the primary one is that, oh, you need to go here and there, but I'll soon be secretary. Yeah. <laughs> and um, this is a, um ongoing thing since probably I was 50 and whatever. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so okay. much for your call. Okay. And she brings up a good topic. There were several questions in there that I was going to mm -hmm. ask also, too, because and it's another reason she played right into my question, where we were talking about whether it's a good idea to forward your records, because I know sometimes, a long time ago, I don't know if they always take the cervix now, but sometimes they left the cervix yes. during hysterectomy. Yeah. 
Yes, and there was a point in time where sometimes the cervix would be left, and there are still times where um, you have a hysterectomy and the cervix is left behind. That's not near as common, um, but there are certain times where that has to happen. Maybe it was a very difficult surgery or, mm, again, a very few instances, but used to, um, there was a point in time where um, the cervix was left. Right, and sometimes you don't know that. So it's good right. you say, hey, they'll say, well, do you still have your service? Yeah. And like, well, I, yeah. I don't know. Right. So it's yeah. good to have the records sure. so they can all know. Sure. So we have another caller. Thank you again okay. for calling. What is your question? Elaine? Hi, how you doing? Uh, I wanted to know uh, if you have a hysterectomy. I, I had like a hysterectomy like about 25 years ago. How often should I uh, go and get a... Uh, Exam. So again, the answer is a, a little bit depends, um, especially if you had your hysterectomy but still have your ovaries that were left behind, which that does happen depending on the age um, you were when you had your hysterectomy and the reason you had your hysterectomy. Um, so sometimes we take the uterus and cervix out but leave the ovaries behind. Um, so if you still have your ovaries, then still doing a yearly pelvic exam is smart. If you do not have your ovaries, um, again, still considering having an exam at least once a year is something to think about, but also a conversation that you can have um, with your primary care doctor and also your OBGYN to see what you're comfortable with, what's going to meet your goals. Um, and so it's a conversation to have and, and really tailor to your history. Okay. Well, thank you so much. No problem. And you can see with the common questions. Yeah. I think this is something that we, a lot of times, we're just not told all this sure. time. We don't really know, and sometimes yeah. it really doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I think for a long time, women didn't know or didn't ask that there is a difference in a pap smear and a pelvic exam. Yes. So yeah. it's like, you don't need a pap smear. And so they get ready for the exam. It's like, I was told I didn't need right. that. No, yeah. You still need the exam. Yeah. Just yeah. not, the, the pap smear is one of the things you do during Correct. the pelvic exam. Yes, it's a specific test. Mm -hmm. And that, that topic comes up very often. Some people use one to describe both, and, and so it's very common uh, confusion, and sometimes it's just splitting hairs. <laughs> OBGYNs, you know, we really want to stick to this is what it is, but um, regardless, if you ever have a question, just talking with your doctor, and they'll be happy to kind of clarify what's recommended for you, because a lot of times the answer is, um, you know, for you it may be one answer, and for your sister it may be a different answer, because you have two different histories going on. And so really tailoring it to you is, is always important. And, and that's a really good point either way because mm -hmm. it is such an intimate visit. It is mm -hmm. something that you know, maybe it's easy to talk about, maybe it isn't. But when you know that you're in there and it's focused only on your specific body, right. what you've been going through, yep. what your needs are, should make it, maybe that can make it a little easier. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I have patients who will have that conversation and I'll say, okay, well, we technically don't have to do this every single year unless you're having a problem and that makes them very nervous and that's okay. And so I always tell my patients, I'm happy to see you. I'm happy to do an exam. Um, if you're worried about something or we just wanna do it once a year to make sure everything's okay and that gives them a peace of mind, that's okay. We can, we can do what we need to do to meet their goals and to make sure that we're, we're making sure their overall health is taken care of. Yeah, I, I understand that. And also, we don't know what we don't know. Sure. So when we go to the annual, there's also paperwork to fill out every time, yeah. right? <laughs> so it's 
like I've done this, uh -huh. you know, 20 times. Uh -huh. I've been here a, lot, a yeah. while. Yeah. But it really is good because sometimes you say, you have any problems? Nope. And you say, well, I see here you're this and this and this. Sure. And when you being the doctor can put together these things that I might think is no big deal. Yeah. And you say, you know what, I'm going to, you yeah. ask more questions, say, let's take a look at that. And yeah. I might not have any idea that that was, sure. and plus a lot of times you think we might chalk it up to, well, I've had, you know, I had a large baby. This is normal. Mm -hmm. I'm getting older. Mm -hmm. um, this is typical. And sometimes it's not. And sure. you don't have to live with something that's yeah. slightly uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. I tell patients all the time, just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. Ooh. And so, um, you know, we can always talk about things and everybody's like, well, every woman I know has this problem. Well, yeah, it's common, but if it's something that's bothering you, it's not necessarily normal. Um, and, and we talk about, you know, it's there, but it's not a problem for me, then that's fine. But if it is a problem for you, then let's talk about it and see if, there, if there's something that we can do to make it better or fix it. And that's really empowering. And sure. that's what I like about Healthline 3 and having these open discussions because sometimes it does boil down to mm -hmm. it's enough. If sure. it bothers you, that's reason enough sure. to talk about it and see if we can take care of it for you. Yeah. Or at least get you an answer and yeah. get to the bottom of it. Right. You know, and, and uh, not have it as a question mark out there floating of, I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah, so. and you find that sometimes that's all it takes. Sure. It's just that talking about it, that yeah. relief. The re yeah, the reassurance that everything is okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's usually what someone just really wants sure. to know. And I, I'm sure you, you've had patients just like totally just, yeah. oh my God, <laughs> yeah. really, so that's okay? Yeah. That's yeah. normal? Yeah. And again, just because it's normal, if it bothers you, you yeah. know, let's talk about it. And then they get to decide. Maybe it doesn't bother me that bad, just knowing that it's not. Correct. Like what she yeah. talked about, like the bladder situation. You know, with anything. Absolutely to fall yeah um, like, what? yeah <laughs> <laughs> this, this yeah. is here sure. and so if it isn't dangerous and if it it's right. really is that normally just okay if it doesn't bother you or are there sometimes where it does need to be taken or can it be a hint of something else going on yeah uh, all of the above okay <laughs> yeah and so I have that conversation often especially with patients who are having issues with things like prolapse um, and it really depends on how aggressive does the patient want to be how much of a problem is it is it causing issues going to the bathroom? Um, and then there's a whole spectrum of how we treat that um, from very conservative all the way up to more invasive like a surgery. And so um, we talk about different options of, okay, are we ready for surgery? No, I don't wanna do surgery. Okay, well, what is the middle of that that we can try to work on it, um, but is not a surgical intervention? And, and so there are different options. And so that's always an important conversation to have of, there's for most things, not always, but mm -hmm. for most problems, there usually are gonna be at least one or two options um, to, to choose from. Sometimes there's only one option, but a lot of times you can kind of be on that spectrum and again, to see what's gonna meet the patient's expectations and goals um, for whatever problem they're having, but specifically for, for prolapse or bladder um, issues, there are usually a few options available for most patients. Is there a reason that this happens in, in some women? Is it? Well, it can, it can depend on um, their birth history, like you alluded to. Um, and then also just as we age, your tissues um, get a little bit weaker and more fragile. And so that's a very normal part of aging that we see that, that the pelvic floor muscles sometimes don't um, stay as strong as they once were. Um, and then also if you've had several vaginal deliveries, that also um, is, is trauma to the tissue each time. And so um, that is a very common issue that we have. But even women who have had C-sections can still struggle with that over time. Mm -hmm.
Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Okay. I'm tell my sister that. <laughs> there you go. I think she's one up on me. So, um, what about mammograms? So, is it still a yearly thing for screening mammograms? How is that handled now? Yes, and so um, there are actually a, f a couple of different guidelines out there. Um, so it depends on which guideline your your doctor is comfortable with following. But roughly, it's at least every one to two years, um, starting at the age of forty. Um, we start having that conversation. Um, some guidelines are a little bit more um, liberal and say that you can wait a little bit after 40. Uh, most physicians are going to start at least encouraging you to consider it at age 40 and then um, at least at yearly or every two years after that to continue your screenings. And again, that's gonna depend a lot on your history, what your previous mammograms looked like, um, and then also your family history can play into that a lot as well. And so that's why at annual exams, you're always going to review family history because sometimes that can mean that your screenings for things such as mammograms or colonoscopies, sometimes those screenings occur a little bit earlier than the baseline population or a little bit more frequently. Okay, and so, it used to be earlier, right? When did it, did, has the age changed? The, it's, it's typically been 40 for mammograms. Um, one that has recently changed is colonoscopies, oh. screening colonoscopies. For a very long time, it was, you started your just routine screening colonoscopy at age 50. Mm -hmm. um, and recently, um, the guidelines have been updated, I'm pretty sure within the last year, it's very recent that um, we actually start routine colon cancer screenings at age 45. Oh, really? Yeah because unfortunately we're seeing patients that are being diagnosed with um, colon cancers earlier. And so that's an effort to try mm -hmm. to pick up those cancers earlier um, at an earlier stage um, in a younger population. And that is another thing that we can talk to our gynecologist about. Sure, that we might yeah, not we're, realize. That. We're very conscious of colon cancer screenings because um, as time has progressed in, um, in data and technology, we found that a lot of female cancers, either endometrial or ovarian, breast cancers, um, sometimes if they're genetically related, can also be associated with colon cancers. And so, um, so we stay very conscious of colon cancer screenings or history of colon cancer in families because sometimes that can tip you off that there may be an increased risk for a GYN cancer as well, and vice versa. If a lot of GYN cancers in your family um, we want to make sure that your colon cancer screening is also up to date. And is that something that um, a patient could call you if that happens to their family member or something? They're alerted to that history yeah, and they absolutely. wanted to say, listen, this just happened mm -hmm. and I want to. Yeah, what and that's also something that you can discuss at your annual exam as well. In the last year, um, my family member unfortunately has been diagnosed with colon cancer or whatever. That's something that we would want to know as an update. Um, because again, that may change your screening schedule for certain things. Okay, mm -hmm. and with mammograms now too, if, if someone really is concerned and they do have the history mm -hmm. of breast cancer, say their mother, sister, family member, any, and they wanna go further with the testing to see sure. if they're carrying the gene, yeah. um, can that happen too? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's often a conversation that I have at an annual exam, um, especially if I'm reviewing a patient's family history and start noticing that there's a pretty significant family history of maybe not the exact same cancer, but like I was saying, a grouping of cancers that we see um, and kind of raises a flag in my mind to, to talk about that. 
Um, and so we can certainly have the conversation of, are you a candidate for genetic testing? Um, and what that would exactly be looking for. And so your annual exam is an excellent time to talk about that. Yeah, mm -hmm. and if you have a history of ovarian cancer or any mm -hmm. kind of cancer, is that done through blood work, extra blood work specifically to look for that or is it just a general panel? Um, yeah, there are specific blood tests that we do that will look at um, certain genes that we look for to see if you carry those. So yeah. it's a blood test. Okay. It's not very difficult. It's a quick blood draw yeah. and send off to a special lab that looks directly at that. And I've heard in the past, I don't know if that's still true, but that ovarian cancer is the one that's a little tough to find unless you're specifically looking for it. Is that yes, true? yes. Unfortunately, we don't have a good screening modality for um, ovarian cancer. Mm -hmm. For other types of female cancers like breast cancer or cervical cancer, we do have a pretty good screening system and it, and it works well. Um, but for ovarian cancer, there's just not a good screening tool that's been identified and there has been extensive <laughs> research to try to I find bet. it. Um, and so unfortunately, yes, ovarian cancer can be a very tough one um, to diagnose because sometimes you don't have symptoms until it's very advanced. That's, that's very common for ovarian cancer and um, that's why that diagnosis can often be very devastating because perhaps if we were able to find it sooner, um, it wouldn't have advanced to the stage that it is and causing as many problems. And so it's a very tough one and it's hard for everybody involved, of course, for the patient and their family and then for the doctor too, because they see if, if only we could have known, but the patient wasn't having symptoms and there's just not really a great screening modality to find it sooner. Yeah, and I think that's something really good to stress because mm -hmm. the doctor will be equally blown away and upset with finding that because oh, there are sure. no symptoms. You don't yeah, know to, absolutely. you don't, again, don't know what you don't know and mm -hmm. if you're not showing anything at all, it's sure. growing, it's doing what it's yeah. doing and then there it is mm -hmm. when you start having some symptoms. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. It's really it's a tough know, one. Ovarian really cancer is. is a very tough, tough yeah. thing. All the more to pay attention to that history and sure. if you have that feeling. Sure. Or if you're having symptoms that just don't quite seem right That's and I'm concerned. Um, no doctor is ever going to fault you for coming in to talk about even if it's not something that is terrible but something just isn't right. Doctors are always going to trust you. You know your body and so um, if something's wrong and we need to look into it a little bit more um, than we will. And that goes back to having a good established relationship with your physician where a good working, trusting relationship, they know you and you know them and um, can work through that. Yeah, and I would think it's got to be a gratifying conversation for you too, to have someone come in and what if I just said, I know I don't have a history, I'm just having some weird stuff, yeah. but I don't, I can't explain it, but I'm worried that I have ovarian cancer, can you test me for it? Sure, yeah, and so, Yes, and that's hard because there's not an absolute test that um, can diagnose it, but there are certainly findings that we can look at. And so um, while the worry for cancer is always there, everyone is always worried about that, especially if you're having just strange symptoms. I do want to say that there are a lot of reasons you may be having these symptoms. Exactly. And so I always talk to patients and try to um, reassure them that we are going to look into it and do the appropriate workup, but also common things are common. And so, um, you know, we want to, we're not going to jump straight to the scariest thing. Now, certainly we will rule it out, but there are also many other reasons that you may be having the symptoms you're having. And so let's systematically work through it and, and get to the bottom of, of what's going on. 
And that's why I like to talk about this too, because I think there's always, I always say in my mind, there's a step two. There's a step two. Mm -hmm. You know, if you asked, you tried to do something that didn't work, it's like, well, did you do this? There's follow up. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really good that I try to do, if I go in and I ask you something, mm -hmm. and I am just dead set, <laughs> I think that this might do it, I just really want to know. Uh -huh. Also, I'm talking to you because you, you are the doctor. So it's, listen to the answer also yes. because it might not be you're there for this outcome you want the test you know but if you really ask the question and really stay open and have a dialogue yeah. with your doctor yeah that may be right there what yeah. you what you need to hear yeah. um, and also may lead you to something else sure. that might be sure. quite just as serious or more serious you like well I don't think you've got that but I'm gonna test you for this yeah yeah absolutely and there's always kind of the starting point that most people are depend again depending on the issues that you're having um, you're going to start with just the basics, and if that all comes back normal, then we'll elevate it to the next level. Or maybe you need to see a physician for a, you know, a specialist for this or that. Um, and so everybody will start at the basics and then go from there. And it's a really good point to mm -hmm. ask you. Sometimes don't worry that it's not doesn't fall under this that you mm -hmm. do. Ask ask you anything, and then you mm -hmm. can say. Okay, that's, you know, I think you can go see this doctor for that. Well, sure, you yeah, know? I will handle my things, yeah. my OBGYN <laughs> things, and if I eliminate problems in my area, but I think, hey, you'd be really great to go see a gastroenterologist, then I can navigate you there and place the referral for you to go there or wherever we, or urology or wherever we need to go. Um, but your OBGYN a lot of times can be a good starting point. Right, good starting point. So what else is something, where, before I let you go, I could talk to you all day about this, it's so great. <laughs> really thank you for sharing your time of with course, us today. What of is something that you'd like um, our viewers to, to take from this today? I think just not to be afraid to ask your OBGYN if you have any problems um, or just lingering questions that your annual exam can be a good time to at least start that conversation. And if it's something that, okay, We'll get the workup started, and then I'm going to have you come back and follow up on that. Um, and then just always go into your annual routine screening um, exams, whether it's with your OBGYN or your primary care doctor. Those really are important, even if you're healthy or not having problems. Like you were saying, you don't know what you don't know, and so you want to keep make sure that you're maintaining all of that. All right, time to ask questions. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you for watching again today. We'll see you next time on Healthline 3. Enjoy your afternoon.